Hello, welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the taste of failure from our mouths. I am Carlos Cooper. I am one of your co-hosts and I remember to say my name this time with me as always is Joe Hilliard and Dave Gurney. All right. And we're here to do what it is that we do, uh, but not in uh, the normal fashion. It, it, we're, it, it's more extravagant, a more celebratory type of moment that we're having here, because uh, if you've been paying attention to our social medias uh, and the uh, the posts that Joe has been putting up, then uh, you might be anticipating this moment because it is indeed our four hundredth beer that we have had on the show. That's right. 400 beers have been consumed on beer in a movie and a one David Gurney has supplied us with a special elixir to uh, really get us in the mood to talk about this movie. Yeah. Celebrate the occasion. That's right. Beer 400 is a big beer uh, for beer in a movie. It would be for any podcast. Uh, So we had to bring out the big guns and this is a bottle that I've had in the cabinet for a little while. And I know I've kind of sworn off, uh, you know, hoarding beer, (laughs) but, but occasionally a bottle will come across that I just have to hold on to until the right moment comes. And this one came to me in 2020. This is a beer that up until then was pretty much impossible to buy outside the state of Colorado. It's from Weldworks Brewing, who we've had on the show several times before. And they bottled this beer in 2020 called Media Noche, which they had done in the past, just not gotten out of the state. It is a barrel-aged imperial stout. I'll read the label here. It starts as a complex, rich, and full-bodied imperial stout brewed with copious amounts of chocolate malts, crystal malts, and flaked oats, then boiled continuously for nearly 36 hours. After fermentation, this massive stout was aged in a carefully selected blend of 7- to 12-year bourbon barrels for 18 to 24 months, lending notes of baker's chocolate, toasted marshmallows, sweet vanilla, and caramel. Guys, cheers. Now, it, 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 it should be noted that this beer was not, there's no, those aren't adjuncts. Those are just flavors that Correct. beer itself in combination with the barrel aging should be kind of giving you. Absolutely, right? So it's a proper imperial stout without adjuncts, right? But barrel aged, but yeah. barrel aged. Yeah, proper uh, barrel aged stout. I'm going to pour mine while I prepare all of my questions about the psychological effects that David might or may not be having about downsizing that beer cellar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there comes a time in every man's life where uh, he must downsize his beer cellar, but we really shouldn't... Uh, d- we shouldn't delay any farther. After hours. <laughs> Patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Uh, really helps the show out a lot. Thank you very much to all of our Patreon people. You guys are awesome. Uh, you could be one of them. So we have a really uh, challenging film to discuss. Um, so we should get straight into it. And I have, I have to uh, pull up the the name of the director to be able to see it in order to even have a vague chance of pronouncing it properly. But we are talking about one of our most anticipated films of 2021 or one of mine. That's true. Um, and it is Titane. It is a French film written and directed by uh, Julia DeCornow. That's uh, perfect. It, it's Nailed a, it. 
Yeah. Okay. So um, this is her second film. Uh, her first uh, was came out in 2016, uh, but more on that later. Uh, and it stars Agatha Roussel in her feature film debut as the character Alexia, who at a young age was involved in a very grisly car accident, a potentially life-threatening car accident that uh, resulted in a titanium plate being put in her head to keep her skull together. She grows up to be uh, an exotic dancer at car shows and some other things as well. Um, and through a very quick series of events that kind of uh, begin the film, we find our heroine main character, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Anti, anti -heroine. heroine. Yeah. Uh, kind of on the run from the law. And she decides that she is uh going to attempt to disguise herself as a missing young boy named or a young man named Adrian, who's been missing for 10 years. Uh, and through some, let's call them body modifications, uh, brings herself Accurate. to, uh, more resemble, uh, this, this young man. And then that kind of sets off the bulk of the film, which is her passing off as this, uh, as this boy when she indeed is not uh is not is a woman i and just i want to note how long we've been kicking the can of this movie down through time i mean we have debated when the proper time to do this movie was since it was available to stream yeah and you know it's this movie came out in october of this year um but we did not get it in our market it didn't screen in theaters here and so that certainly and also it was all horror october so it might have been a tough time to squeeze it in anyway but yeah but i was uh, just gonna say well, we have been like hyping this movie up to one another for months and months and months so i mean i'm yeah. glad we can finally talk about it yeah for sure and i mean it comes at a time where we're catching up on all of the if you've been listening to the last couple of weeks we're kind of catching up on uh, the big buzzworthy, possibly award season type of movies in 2021 that we missed. Uh, and so it was high in time that we got to this one. Um, I think that if I were going for a more comedic angle in the uh, film synopsis, I possibly could have said something more along the lines of, uh, yeah, a girl with a plate in her head who may or may or who is a serial killer has sex with a car gets impregnated by a car has to disguise herself as a young boy <laughs> and those are things that's that pretty, happen that's pretty, those are things pretty that good that's pretty good yeah I mean, but, it's, but it's obviously like i mean it's this, so it, much this really more than go. that reductive kind of description of it but it should but you can't really gloss over the fact that insane stuff happens in this movie right uh, without a doubt, this is really a listen to the very end episode because I think that we're really going to even continue that conversation as we discuss another film by the same director that does kind of the same thing, which is take a horror element and then completely turn it on its ear to deliver so much more than the, just what you're seeing, like the textual part of it. And yeah, okay, she's an exotic dancer. But it's it, the reasons why and the evolution away from and what she evolves into this subtext is so thick and rich in this movie. I was blown away. Yeah. And one of the things that really struck me, especially at the end, that uh, I just wanted to bring up before we kick it to David to kind of uh, get us on a more analytical path, really, <laughs> really hone us in, is that uh, enough anecdotes. 
Duker now does the promising young woman thing where she starts the film in one genre in the middle shifts to a completely different genre and then closes it back out kind of with the genre that it started with. And what I mean by that is we start off in a thriller, almost kind of horror situation. I mean, there are some horrific images in the beginning, the kind of like crazy metal neck brace thing that she's in as a child while she's getting the plate installed in her head and like recovering from the car crash. But then once she disguises herself as the young the young man Adrian and meets that child's father Vincent who's a uh what we would call a fire chief in the states but they refer to I believe as a fire captain uh who is so relieved to be reunited with his son that he doesn't really ask any questions or think very hard about is this person you know who is really this person that's that's what me and so you get this family drama in the middle and then it kind of closes back out again in a kind of horror thriller element as well. I mean, certainly body horror with some of the images that we see at the very in the kind of old, the where the film ends up that last scene. Um, but at no point does it seem odd. At no point does it feel disjointed. At no point does it really take you out of the movie. She really navigates the these kind of genre and tonal shit. I, I guess the tone of the movie doesn't really change. It stays pretty intense and unsettling the whole time. But these kind of genre transitions and changes in a masterful way, I would say. Um, but But David, I know that you were served with divorce papers the morning after viewing this film with your wife. Uh, so I, I, I assume that you have a great many thoughts about it. <laughs> right. The, I'll always remember it as the film that destroyed my marriage. No, <laughs> uh, we, we did watch it together. Uh, it, it is a film that's going to make an impression on any viewer. So, so it was bound to stimulate some uh, something in our relationship, but no, we're, we're doing fine. In fact, we had one of the most, <laughs> robust discussions we've had post film in many years i think uh which is something that i envy because i watched this alone and i'm so i'm 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 envious of you that you got to have that experience well i did warn you the same yeah yeah Yeah. you did warn me thank you for that yeah i mean because again aaron aaron will go into to some adventurous areas experimental film but you know this one is is definitely a a button pusher i mean it, it is not not backing off. I think what you say, Carlos, is is right about the way that the film shifts gears in terms of genre partway through the film and then kind of shifts back. I mean, there, there's a lot of um, shifting back and forth because you have her, uh, the, the lead character, well, her or him, right? Because it depends on kind of what point in the film we are, what, what gender would be better assigned there. But when she's posing as Adrian, um, it really does slip into these family drama moments. And then when you see these moments where she's alone and she's having to deal with the, you know, uh, nuisance of her pregnancy that, you know, she's, she's out there and sort of flagrantly female. Um, and, and there's this body horror element that comes into it because we're seeing her leaking and we're seeing her rip open and we're seeing all these kind of like the exposed metal under her skin yeah okay so that needs to be somewhat expounded upon because we see her in the shower and you know coming or you know coming out from her body like running down her leg in the shower is like motor oil right and later we see her her lactating motor oil as well and then as the pregnancy uh advances uh the skin on her stomach starts to kind of 
uh, tear open, revealing this like titanium kind of substance right. underneath that. It, so like there is, and all the while she's having to take these kind of like athletic bandages to, you know, flatten tape her, everything down. Yeah. Flatten her breasts, flatten her stomach so that she presents more, uh, presents more masculine, hides her, her, her curvature and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Which I just had to be said that motor oil is coming out of her body. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, that it's a key part. It gets of, back to what I was talking about. Like the, the, the text of it is body horror, but the subtext of it is, uh, a woman posing as a man who is going to be looking more and more feminine and doing the thing that, that women can do certainly much better than men. And that's deliver a baby. I mean, it, it, there's interesting conversation to be had about like gender fluidity and gender presentation. And I mean, I was blown away. Yeah. Well, that's a good, you know, it, 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 it is. It, and that's part of the boundary pushing uh, elements of it. Not that we don't see stories about trans individual people crossing gender boundaries um, in their lives, but that, you know, we're seeing it here mixed with this body horror, also mixed with this, the fact that, you know, whether we're thinking male, female, she's an anti-hero or anti-heroine, do we want to align with this character? I mean, right in the beginning of the film, it establishes her as a serial killer. Right. Um, and I mean, she that, stabs that guy in the ear with the like hairpin, the the kind of hairpin that looks like a chopstick. chopstick yeah. yeah. Stabs him like straight in the ear. He fo foams from the mouth all over her. And yeah. Pretty graphic death scene. Pretty graphic. And it's it's out of it's out of nowhere. In the trailer, I never well, understood well, that she was a serial killer. No, no. But, that, but actually, I thought that was handled pretty well, because at that point, it's her acting out against the sexual aggressor. Like this guy is, you know, assaulting her. Well, I just meant I just meant the explosion of violence, uh, you know, in in an in a right. tra traumatic you know situation already. But the explosion of the killing, it's like, whoa, okay, we're, we're going to go, we're going to go on a journey tonight. Yeah. Well, even before that, right, we have the opening scene of the car crash, which is pretty, you know, dramatic, and it's like to start the film with a like automatic car crash is kind of a. So, you know, yeah, this one out of the gate lets you know there's going to be intensity here. We're, we're, we're going into some pretty dark areas. Um, and, 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 and we certainly stay there throughout the film sporadically, right? I mean, I think that's, you know, what happens is then we start folding in these other elements once she becomes part of this, you know, quote unquote family with, uh, with Vincent. Yeah, I, and, you know, I think kind of to what Joe was saying is that, um, you know, we're not pitched as this being like a, a movie about crime or like a, a serial killer. So the, it, the murder aspect of it kind of comes out of nowhere in that regard. Um, but. And there's know, also what, no, no sense of threat that she's going to be caught or that. It, right. I mean, like it's interesting. That, that, that part comes out of nowhere. It, it sets it up. A little bit, like, right. You think it's going to be, but then ultimately, no, she's, and, and she's, flagrantly i mean right lying to people about her identity yeah. putting this out there and and though there you know that never becomes the real concern of the film which is kind of interesting i mean it, it it sort of fakes you out a little bit in that way too well yeah i mean because i think i think what the film about is like oddly simple i was i there's a a musician that i follow uh 
on Instagram. Her name is, um, I hope I pronounce her right. Um, Amirtha Kidambi. Um, she's a, music, a musician, activist, uh, electronic kind of experimental stuff. Uh, anyway, um, I saw that she had posted something about this film and was like, if you've seen this, I'm, I'm interested in what you think I have thoughts. And so I messaged her. And one thing that she said, and it was a very brief interaction that we had, but uh, her response about the movie was... Um, it's an oddly simple film when you really think about it, which the more that I've thought about it is very true. I mean, it's a, it's a story about two things. It's about the effects of like trauma on a person and the cycle of like violence that can perpetuate from that. It's about dealing with grief and where those two themes overlap is that ultimately at the end of the day, the human experience, what we're looking for is acceptance. We want people to accept us for who we are and not tell us that what we are is wrong or that we need to change that because ultimately the kind of resolve that we see at the end is that first we see, uh, we see Adrian helping her father or his father, Vincent administer these steroids to him. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, you know, he's the, he's the aging fire captain. He still wants to be the strong macho guy in the not platoon. I don't know what you call a group of fire crew, the fire crew in the crew. Yeah. Uh, and so he's he's also undergoing his own body transformation, self-inflicted body transformation by injecting these steroids to try to remain you know, youthful. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, in, so, in this case, trying not to transform, right? I mean, he he's he's yeah. desperately trying to maintain this youthful, muscular body form that an older man's going to lose naturally because his hormones are going to decrease over time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which in its own way, oddly, is kind of a also a transformation. Yeah, it's it, that part's very interesting. But so so first you see that, and then second, not long after that, we get this moment where. Vincent kind of admits that he knows Adrian is not who he says he is and says to to her, him, uh, I don't care who you are. I don't care whatever. I love you. And yeah. there's this moment of, you know, him accepting her as yeah. his son or, or, and then, and then we get the, like the scene where the film ends, which is her ultimately delivering this child that the car and her created uh, something that you, something that you knew was coming the entire film. And I kept guessing or trying to like, you know, figure out what was going to be birthed. Yeah. What was, what was going to be the end result of, of, of that, that right. birthing process. Cause yeah, I mean, Never seen a movie where a person in a car have a baby or what that looks like. No expectations for like what's to come. It could have been a Hot Wheel, you know. I don't know. Uh, well, and a lot of like horrific, a lot of horrific telegraphing that this may not end well. Well, yeah, like we said earlier about her stomach, kind of the skin and her stomach like tearing to reveal that plate of metal that is her mm-hmm. pregnant belly. Um, but that scene is, I mean. It's a it's a wild scene where Vincent sees this happening, sees this crazy thing happening to this woman's body that is not 
and and is not normal. And she asks him for help, and he and he does. He doesn't really. He doesn't hesitate as soon as, you know, I mean, he's trying to leave for a second. So, I mean, there is a moment of hesitation, but as soon as he realizes that she needs his help and she asks for it directly with no question, he's like, okay, because they have established this kind of oddly loving relationship with one another. And again, that's where those two things overlap of like the cycle of trauma that can occur, processing grief, and they kind of intersect there at the end. Uh, and so, yeah, see, for me, Carlos, it's unconditional love. Like, I mean, when you, yeah, well, so exactly. we, we, if we had a Bammy that was the film that you thought about the most after you saw it, we don't have that one. We should. This wins for this me. Wins. I have thought <laughs> I about this. I have thought about this movie nonstop since I've seen it. Uh, and you know, it blew me away. I said, I think I've said that already. Um, but it lived up to every expectation that the three of us had built up for this movie. And I was, that was my biggest fear going in was there's absolutely no way that it's going to live up to the hype that we've created for it. But also despite all those. And it does, it does on so many levels. I mean, just this notion of in a body horror film, this very much auteur director, and we'll talk about her more in the second half, has created a completely visionary experience that is unlike anything you have ever seen. And on top of that, it delivers these really human stories. Yeah. And unconditional love for me is, I think, what she's trying to say, how exhilarating it is when you finally find it if you hate yourself as much as these two characters seem to. Yeah, I mean, I think I think as a storyteller, as a filmmaker, it seems like she's very fascinated. You know, we're we're going to talk about another film of hers in the second half, but very fascinated with just the very concept of family and what it is that family does for one another. And and definitely in this film, part of the story is you know the family that she's born into is probably not the right family. Now we don't develop that that much, and obviously she kind of makes the decision for us as an audience, whether or not that family belongs together, she burns them alive. Folks. Yeah. Cause she murders. Um, <laughs> um, but, but then when she links up with Vincent and not, a, not right away, because obviously that's a convenient, you know what I mean? She, she's running a con there. She's just trying to hide out. She's trying to, but, not good but, but randomly they meet randomly. They connect in that scenario. Yeah. But they're able to construct it. And it's a very familiar relationship. It's father, son, and they are at least, you know, for Vincent, it very much is for most of it, even if it's not that way for Adrian, totally all, you know, but then I think it becomes that right. When she finds, or he finds Vincent on the floor after he's collapsed, after I think having a bad injection where, you know, like there's this kind of moment where it seems like, it went over. And from then on, they're both devoted to each other equally. It's, you know, it's really fascinating. But part of that is also, I think, motivated by the twin concern of this, like, what is a person's core identity? Who is a person? What what makes that person this titanium element that courses through this person's body because of this freak car accident? You know, again, this is this fantastical supernatural element that comes into this film. 
Um, but on some level, we could relate it to just about anything, right? This whatever aspect of one's identity that seems to be so stubborn and like, even though somebody wouldn't want to have to deal with it, right? I don't think most people want the complication of being part machine, part person, but you know, then again, some people might choose it. Elon Musk, um, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, I mean, you're yeah. totally right about that though. And we talked about that a little bit in Swan Song, the personal identity thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is, which is interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, there is, um, you know, one thing that we didn't mention is the, it's in the very beginning and it kind of sets us up for a little bit of what's going to happen is that when she, she as a child, this is like the first like five minutes of this movie, when she's a child, she comes out of the hospital. She has this titanium plate in her head. You can see this, the scar is still super fresh on the side of her head. Her head is shaved. Uh, and she's kind of distant to her parents, comes out, hugs the car, like kisses it, I think, right? Uh, yeah. And that kind of relationship that she has with the machine part of her is very interesting. And I mean, you know, we've, we've mentioned it already and we're certain, I mean, we'll certainly mention it. We it's, it's, it's a part of this conversation. We can't get out of the text versus the subtext. That one moment, there is so much to mine there. Like there's so much that you can talk about, about just that one moment and what it means for the character and what it means for what we see of her later as an adult. Uh, At the end of the day, I mean, this movie is just, one of the most thought-provoking, discussion-inducing, right, mind-boggling cinematic experiences. And I know I sound like such a fucking douche saying cinematic experience, but really, <laughs> I mean, I can't begin to imagine the uh, death grip that I would have had on the armrests of my seat if I was seeing this in a theater. <laughs> you know how like pushed back and glued into my chair I would have been throughout this entire thing you know we we really need a dollar put a dollar in the jar tip jar thing for when one of us says oh this would have been a better experience in the theater but I'm going to put the first dollar in it when this movie because it never came to our market we couldn't go see it right so Mm -hmm. if it ever does if you know Alamo does one of those things I definitely want to see this on the big screen do you think that this has any shot in hell of a uh, best foreign film Oscar nomination? It, it no, doesn't. no, no. It, it didn't make the list. Oh, it didn't. No, um, I don't. I don't know the story behind it, David. You might. It, it did not get on the um, French submission list that they that they give to the Oscars. Despite the fact that it won the Palme d'Or, I I think I think that's not right. I think it did be become. Wrong. It was the. It was the official French selection, but then it did not make the Academy shortlist for the films that went out to Academy voters there to determine go. what the, yeah. So um, there were no French yeah. films on that list. So no, there is no, no, chance. there's only one that gets submitted from each country. That's yeah. So yeah, that, that is, it's unfortunate, but it, it did win the Palme d'Or already. I mean, the one thing that I, I, I would say, and that we can maybe close it out here because we're still going to be talking about the Cornell in our second half. Um, and, and we definitely need to talk about the motor oil that's been in our glass this first half. And coating. Look at the side. Look at the side of your glass. Like you can't <laughs> see through it. It's so yeah. thick. Um, you know, th- I think the the caveat here being, if it's not obvious already, this is a film that's going to push people's buttons. Body horror 
if, if you have people who are turned off by that, this is a non-starter. I mean, yeah. honestly, well, I agree. You know, I, 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 I understand that uh, most of our listeners, I think probably aren't those people because they, they go with us down some dark holes sometimes <laughs> with what we choose, but, but we do, we like a full gamut of, of, uh, of films. And this is for those people who are adventurous in terms of violent, um, sometimes, uh, you know, sexually charged and also just like sometimes absurd and abnormal imagery that that's, you know, again, we, we, we haven't really belabored the point here, but you know, the touchstones of David Cronenberg and David Lynch no doubt, um, in yeah. terms of predecessors are important ones and ones that, you know, we aren't the first critics to be putting out there. It's again, buyer beware. <laughs> I think if you're listening to this podcast, this is probably a, mo a movie you're going to want to check out rent it on whatever streaming platform you can get it on go see it in a the theater if it does happen to be playing in your in your local market but uh but yeah if, if your aunt or uncle is maybe hanging with you that afternoon and and you're saying you want to watch this you know give them give them the heads up warning <laughs> yeah. good call yeah all right good call but, but, but I, I would i'm gonna second that david and even say this I haven't said this before ever on the show. It's $6 right now on whatever you use. Rent this movie, especially before the band, especially before the bammies. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, Ooh, I mean, look at that. The, Joe's giving a little, uh, I'm not saying anything, here. David, David, don't read anything into that. Showing his well, I, I got to read into this glass that we've been Dude. sipping on all the glasses we've been sipping on this first half because you know, beer 400, we wanted it to be a big beer. We have this movie about uh, a main character who is part human, part machine, leaking motor oil all over the place. What better beer to pair than this intense barrel-aged imperial stout from Weldworks? At least that was what I was thinking in theory. Guys, did I get the pairing right? David, I can't believe that you ruined our 400th beer like this i mean i know <laughs> not think of a worse, can't think of a worse beer that we could uh i mean this beer is amazing it's david can you read the flavor uh, on the side of the can that you did at the top of the episode yeah what what they're going for there um with the barrel aging in particular they say it lends it notes of baker's chocolate toasted marshmallows sweet vanilla and caramel all there. Oh, I, mean, I wasn't kidding about the side of the glass. This beer is so thick, and sometimes you get those imperial stouts that have that that um, the, the motor oil consistency. And we make jokes about it because we're trying to deliver a mental picture to people that can't see the beer that we're holding. But I, the, this this glass is almost completely non see. I'm talking about where it's you know dripped back down into the into the glass. It's yeah. left a thick coat behind, and that comes out in the flavor. I'm getting a lot more fruity things, you know, that's more of that salty, savory flavor profile, but I'm getting a little more fruit. Yeah, I, I can taste some of that. I mean, it's still pretty dark and, and chocolatey. and delicious. Yeah. It is the, a great mouthfeel. Uh, mm -hmm. A uh, um, beer description that we love to use on this, uh, on this show. It, I feel like this, when you have a beer this big, it kind of sets you up. I mean, like, are we going to go to some little uh, like fruited sour or something? Like I'm not, my palate's going to be wrecked for something like that. 
Yeah, no. Yo, you did a good job. Thank you. But here's the story really is that you had gotten yourself a bottle of that first run of it, the 2020, the, the first year that they released it outside of Colorado. And you've held on to it this long, even after you've quote unquote downsized this seller of yours, you <laughs> held on to this one for a reason. And I mean, I, I it, thanks for sharing it with us, man. It paid off tonight. This is delicious. Well, you you are quite welcome, and I'm glad that I was able to deliver uh, something special for that 400 beer. And boy, we paired it with one of our special movies uh, for sure from 2021. Um, I, I I feel like we would have been very remiss if we hadn't somehow found a way to bring Titan into this. And I'm mm-hmm. excited that as we go into our second half, we get to spend some more time talking about DeCornell, looking at her first feature-length film, and pairing it with another beer when we get back. And we're back. Oh, where right. are we? We, I had to I had to go rinse my glass. I mean, that, I need a <laughs> clean glass if we're going to do something else fun. I don't know, Joe. It seems like what you have for us might just dirty that glass up again just as quickly. Okay. So I went beer shopping the other day just for the show and was just, you know, thinking, let's let me get a couple of varieties of some things that I can pull out of my magic beer bag some night and maybe make someone's jaw drop. And I I saw the <laughs> um Ale Smith Speedway Stout. And this is a big beer for me in my personal beer journey. When I was at one of the very first kind of beer shares, the very first beer share I ever went to, bottle share, a guy had mule down some Ale Smith Speedway Stout Vietnamese style in a growler. And mm. it was, I mean, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm on, we're on the right track here. Beer is so much more than what I had out of the keg at college. Yeah, then the the kegs of natty light that you were uh doing the <laughs> no the- uh keys uh no um keystone keystone light that was um emerging as a brand before <laughs> no, they rebranded. yeah uh it was before they rebranded uh, uh their um had deer a deer head anyway i just saw that upside down a lot um <laughs> so i looked in the spreadsheet to see if we had done speedway stout because of course we have this is one of the pillars of craft beer the one that everyone was you know was sought after for a while now it's you know more distributed and we have never done ale smith speedway stout in fact we've never done ale smith well yeah. i'm glad I'm glad that you're fixing that problem, Joe, because I agree. This this is a beer that uh, looms large for me. I never had that Vietnamese variant that that you've had. That, that, would, that would be nice. <laughs> um, but I have had this when it came into our market, which was a few years back. Um, it was definitely something I was excited to see come around. So I'm excited. I'm going to go back to it. It's you know, it's easy to take something like that for granted once it comes into your market and it's just available on a regular basis. You think, eh, yeah, okay, it's there. Uh, but this it's good to be reminded. Okay, so Speedway Stout's pitch black appearance has become a hallmark of this modern day classic. Chocolate and roasted malts dominate the flavor, supported by notes of dark fruit, toffee, and caramel. A healthy dose of locally roasted coffee brings out the beer's dark chocolate flavors and on and on. So uh, pour yourself one and let's enjoy it. 
look how yeah it's not as thick as what we just had it's a little thinner but well, just as black i mean in, in yeah. terms of the uh the color it's just as motor oil like uh so this is this is exciting and the the aroma is lovely um yeah um, I, i'm being transported already to a place where i think we're where... gonna have two successes in our beer journey tonight and, and we'll see i i have to believe we're gonna have uh potential success with our second film as well because as we said before we're going back to the well um julia de cornell uh visionary french filmmaker uh, who who graced us with Titan in 2021 well back in 2016 released this film raw that uh, i had missed and and joe i think you had as well i've Maybe never seen it but, this but, uh, group you know i was going to say i haven't seen it but carlos has talked about raw for a long time i have and i've been pushing for it to make the show for a while i think at one point in time i was really trying to um ruin your guys's week and make you watch a lars von trier film in conjunction <laughs> with raw uh just to really double down on the uneasy film watching yeah you, your con your contributions for show ideas are so weird because it's all this weird shit and then everything the rock has ever done <laughs> well Those i like mutually I, exclusive they are mutually exclusive. <laughs> that's for sure have you ever seen doom uh, <laughs> but i i uh yeah i like movies that make me feel things and the rocks movies make me feel happy entertained and these movies make me feel a great various and sundry other things uh, yeah the, I, not a lot of happy though not a lot so of day da da david what is this what does this movie have cooking so, not much because it's they keep it raw um with with the <laughs> maybe i like it raw <laughs> you like this you like this culinary uh metaphor we're doing um but that's appropriate for this film basically How far can we take the bit yeah <laughs> i think we're cutting off there <laughs> but the basic I, I quit a minute and a half ago <laughs> <laughs> the the basic setup here is we have uh, a young woman, uh, Justine, played by Garance Millier, Marillier. Who was uh, in Titan. Who was in Titan as a character named Justine. We're going to hear uh, some of the same names. <laughs> a great many of the same names, yeah. Right. Um, and she's being uh, brought to veterinary school. Uh, in fact, the same veterinary school that her parents went to and, and seemed to meet at. Um, the, the veterinary school that her older sister has already gone to. Um, and on her way there, you know, we, we see uh, that she's a vegetarian and has been her whole life. Uh, but there are these hazing rituals that go on at the veterinary school. And one of the early ones is forcing the students to eat meat, uh, rabbit kidneys in particular. Raw. Rabbit. Raw rabbit kidneys. Thank you. Yeah. No seasoning. No light sear, nothing. No, no. This isn't like, uh, yeah, the the, the uh, you know molecular gastronomy doing something inventive <laughs> with uh, awful. But uh, no, what we have here is, yeah, just plucking it out of a jar. A jar full down. of them. Yeah. Um, but after that, it sort of becomes this sort of compulsion on the part of Justine to eat these things, even though initially she's very resistant, um, but you know, notably her sister is pretty okay with it. In fact, you know, sort of makes it seem like it's really nothing to be worried about. Alex, uh, Alexia, the sister, Alexia, the sister um, yeah. makes it seem like that. So 
Pops it like know, a Tic Tac. I, 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 yeah, I think that's enough synopsis because that really does set up most of what goes on for a good portion of the film. Um, this is a slower building film, I think, than what we had with Titan. You know, we, we were talking about last time that Titan almost right out of the gate with that very violent car crash. Although this one also opens with a violent car crash. Uh, we well, can yeah, talk, it, but it, not it as opened, directly it, connected. Yeah, it it's kind of a up, go, Joe. Sorry. It opens up with a scene. This is the first shot of the film is this long shot down this road that's lined by trees with a body lying in the middle of it and a car that is just wrecked. Then the body gets up and walks toward the car. And then we take her to college or veterinary school. Right. And the first scene with this family taking this daughter to school is that she's got, um, they're at some restaurant or cafeteria and uh, she eats some mashed potatoes because her family are strict vegetarian. And the mom throws a fit when there's a little piece of meatball or sausage or something in the mashed potatoes. So, I mean, we're learning economically, but, you know, fantastic storytelling here. What's happening a vegetarian is going to vet school. And so the, when they present this rabbit, you know, pieces as, you know, a mandatory thing, it's like, well, whoa, she's a vegetarian. Clearly she'll get out. No, 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 no. They bring the sister, her older sister over to say, eat it or be an outcast. And she basically puts it into her mouth. And then of course they follow it with a shot of tequila or whatever. And which, which she does not take. Right. Well, she goes over to the corner and it begins gagging because yeah. this is, I mean, think about it. I have a strict rule to never eat a thing. And then I do, but here is the thing, this text subtext thing, because as soon as the movie was over and yeah, I'll try to get back to where I was, but Carlos had recommended this movie for months and months and months. And, you know, and here we sure. are. And then we get to the scene where that this compulsion it just begins to intensify. I must have flesh. I must have, uh oh, human flesh. There is a scene where someone else described it. She's with her sister. So, yeah. okay. So, uh, before we get to all that, I feel like that there's so much. There's so uh, much. You're right. Color. You're right. I'm probably more derailed to, to decide because that's such a pivotal scene. And there's 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 a lot more that builds us up to that. You know, uh, David mentioned that, uh, you know, this is movies kind of a slower build. And I kind of disagree because hmm. like one of the first things that happened, I mean, it's within like the first like 15 minutes or something like that. She's uh, when the hazing begins, she's in her dorm and she's brought out of it and taken where she has to like crawl in these like catacomb looking thing, like the basement of the fucking place or something. And then there's this party that's going on and the way that the party is shot to me, it doesn't look fun. Uh, well, no, you know, I, and so I, I don't disagree with that, but it feels like, I don't know, the, the first, you know, certainly the first act, maybe even, you know, the, going into like 45 minutes into the film, it's, it feels like student in the wrong place, having to go through hazing, like she doesn't quite fit in. These people are all raucous and around her and like you're as uncomfortable as she is no david feels you, david you're at hold on david you're absolutely right 
there is a feeling, a tone, Carlos used earlier in the first half, a tone in this film of discomfort from the point of view of this girl who is shy and reserved and really just wants to go to vet school because she's got a propensity for being a veterinarian, but it is completely disrupted and rocked by this, you know, we are going to turn your life upside down pledge week or hazing week or whatever. Yeah. It is presented. She makes you feel that discomfort. We, I realized early on in the film and then Carlos, please, I'm in the hands of someone that is perfectly manipulating me the way that a great filmmaker can. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I thought of, you know, when you first started kind of discussing the beginnings of the hazing ritual and stuff like that is that like this, as soon as she eats that raw kidney, they're sitting at the table talking about like the, the agency of monkeys Mm -hmm. and like, she's making this case that you know because there's this that this rumor that i don't think i think is has been debunked at this point that uh that aids began because someone had sex with a monkey or whatever and that's what they're discussing at the table and so then they get into this very odd discussion about the morality of i guess raping a monkey and she's making this argument that like monkeys are self-aware and they would feel sad and bad about that and so and that scene is thankfully only like a couple of minutes long because it's pretty, pretty awkward and uncomfortable. Uh, but you see that she does have this very strong empathy towards animals, which is probably a product of being raised a vegetarian by veterinarians, all this kind of stuff like that. Um, but, but David, to go back to what I was talking about a moment ago is that mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I feel like this movie, it, it why it didn't feel as slow st- building to me is because DeCurnow has this amazing ability to make mundane things really horrifying and skin crawling. Uh, one of the one of the first things we see after the after she consumes that rabbit kidney and then I think by this point too the freshmen are taking a class photo and they have all this like animal blood dumped on them. And then they have to wear their bloodstained lab coats the rest of the time that. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah, it's, it it is. But eating, eating that raw meat uh, gives her a rash and there's the scene and it's a, and it's a, it's delivered to us in a shot that we also get in Titan, interestingly enough, as well as many names uh, of characters. But this uh, shot of like under the covers where you're seeing somebody like under a bed sheet and the camera's under the bed sheet with them and the camera's covered by the bed sheet. And so we see this and we see our protagonist itching her legs and, you know, her thighs, her bottom, her arms, uh, her shoulder, her abdomen. She's just itching frantically. Uh, and then, you know, once we kind of get out of that kind of macro shot or yeah, or really, really tight close up shot of all the itching, we see she has this terrible rash and she goes to the nurse yeah. covered in this rash. And when well, I, that's all my, that, my skin is crawling. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Uncomfortable that's all fair, but, it, but it really does. There is a whole other gear it kicks into. That's more that's closer to where Titan gets very quickly. Sure. I think think when I I think you have her in the scene that Joe was talking about with her sister, when there is an incident 
the sister is giving, you know, Alexa, Alexia is giving Justine a Brazilian wax, you know, on, which on is, her. which is, which is weird to, to even be presenting. I think I'm not thrown off it. by sisters, Brazilian waxing each other. I get that. That's something I that know, I, but close I ups of stuff areas. Well, I, mean, he, the, the, I don't, don't, I don't the, think it's, I don't think it's a Brazilian wax. I think it's a bikini wax. Cause it's okay. I, I thought, I thought I, she, cause she has her underwear on still and three yeah, guys, three guys trying to present well, themselves. As well, whatever the case no, no, is, I'm saying, I think waxing the undercarriage. Yeah. I just, I just think that a bikini or I think that a Brazilian wax implies like the full spectrum of the situation and so you would not be wearing bottoms for that for that and i think that's an important distinction here is that she is sure sure i under got us off on a weird waxing tangent i apologize but but you know the 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 point is the the wax strip becomes caught the there's scissors that are brought out the scissors a mistake is made a fingertip is cut off alexia's fingertip it's like almost well, like down to the knuckle. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the entire no, it's a, hey, it's a good two inch piece, David. She still has a nub, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, sure. But not a usable <laughs> finger. Well, yeah, I don't know. You can grip some with that piece, but, I but the point, the point, <laughs> Hey, come on. The functionality of fingers are amazing in all their lengths, but the, yeah, they must, they must taste delicious. <laughs> well, uh, that's what we see. Go. That's when the cannibalism comes in, and then the reaction to the cannibalism, and the, it, all you've of seen, that. You've seen her kicks it into a whole new gear. Okay, yeah. please allow. Uh, please allow me to bring it full circle. Carlos has been suggesting this movie for months. I love this movie. I love this movie. And then we get to this scene, and I was so fucking nauseated. It is presented so well. The makeup effects in this film are incredible. But Truly. I was so nauseated because, of course, the um, pedigree of this film is that at the premieres of it, at the festivals, people were not vomiting and people were passing out and people were having to leave. And, and that's I, the reputation that this film has. And I had all of those same reactions and began texting Carlos, what the fuck have you done? To, you know, but <laughs> I stopped and wisely. So did I, because. Uh, I began to learn that the presentation of the horror is certainly okay for me at the end of the film. Well, what's it about? Well, it's sure. a metaphor for the college experience that all of us have. When we begin to truly discover who we are. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think there is an element to that. And I, you know, I think it's, I think it's worth kind of establishing like some of the details of that scene because it is such a pivotal scene. I mean, we've seen her eat raw chicken at this point. We've yeah. seen her uh, try to hide a, a, a hamburger patty in her lab coat because she's ashamed of eating any kind of meat in any form. Right. She's trying to hide but it. She has and to. So she, it, it, she it's has overcoming her. Yeah. Which is why she's eating raw chicken. Honey, you're going to get salmonella for Christ's sake. Put the raw <laughs> piece of chicken down. I mean, it's unsettling. But but yeah, that that Brazilian wax scene is like they just even uh, they make it so so uncomfortable looking. It's like 40-year-old virgin times a thousand that waxing scene. I mean, it's just oh my god. But the great thing that happens in that scene is that her sister Alexia cuts her finger off. She passes out as I would imagine you would. Uh, there's this massive pool of blood forming around her hand, and she, um, Julian, is that the oh, what is her Justine? name? Again? Justine. I can't, I keep forgetting her name. Uh, it's late. Um, 
Justine is freaking out as you would. Uh, and she, you know, starts licking the blood off of her hands. And then that she becomes kind of ravenous. She gets really frenzied. And then that's when she starts eating the finger like a chicken wing. And the whole time that that's happening, we see in the background, Alexia's unconscious body and the pool of blood around her hand. And it keeps cutting back to these really close up shots of her, like in a frenzied state, eating this finger to a side profile shot of her. Like a corn of the cop. Of, yeah, of her doing the same thing, but with her sister in the background. And you just know it builds that tension. It builds that suspense so well that because they keep showing us the sister in the background, that shot where you can see the sister in the background, you, you are positive at a certain point. Like, oh, my God, the sister's going to wake up and see her doing this. What is going to happen? And it, you start to kind of, it gets even more unsettling as if watching somebody eating a human body part was not uncomfortable enough. But the twist here and where the film really takes its turn not just narratively but thematically as well is that the sister sees what's happening cut to the hospital and then we see the sister uh, we see alexia tell her parents that her dog ate the finger not justine mm. and that's the moment that we as the audience kind of realize okay, something's happening with the sister. She popped that rabbit kidney like a Tic Tac. She's covering for Justine. There is a moment where you are kind of in a state where you can believe maybe she's just helping her sister out and doesn't want her to like get in trouble or think she can help her or whatever. But then the very next scene, without any explanation, Alexia takes Justine to the side of the road. Justine's like, what are we doing out here? She's, yep. And she's like, well, you know, you blah, blah, blah. And then throws herself out in front of a moving car, gets hit by the car, I believe Alexia does, uh, and then basically reveals to Justine, this is how I deal with what you're going through. I cause car wrecks that people will not survive so that I can then eat them before the paramedics arrive. And that's where things get like fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it remains fucked up for the rest of the film. Because now you um, have a sister enabling her and telling her like, but this, but think about, but Do think it. about it. this girl who is having this ravenous uh, desire that is overtaking her mm-hmm. during her freshman year of college, or you know, away from home for the first time, is also learning even that about herself. That this is not this is hereditary, or at least genetic. That my sister has been Maybe. doing the same that. thing since the same experience. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's amazing. It's it is so deep with but it can all disguised within this gross nauseating film that where people were throwing up that first day i mean it's not it's so deep it's not even disguised i think it's important that it is so revolting what what it is that she's doing because it's again back to that piece that i was talking about earlier like that there's like this core piece of somebody's identity that even if you don't want it to be part of how people like it's something she can't resist doing and it's something the sister can't resist doing and the sister as the film goes on gets much sloppier about or much more haphazard about and eventually you know sort of you know both outs her sister to the campus community right because of the the sort of stunt yeah the stunt she kind of pulls there at the morgue with during the party um and uh but but then later you know with where it ultimately goes just again murdering and uh and eating adrian you know the the roommate character yeah who we haven't talked that much about but he no. is, 
he's he is Justine's roommate. Uh, he uh, Justine requested a female roommate. They give her Adrian instead because, as Adrian says, oh well, the between my name being somewhat confusing and the fact that I'm gay, they figure it's just, it's just as well. And you know, what, you know, whatever. Um, but you know, you're Joe, you were talking about like, so, you know, this part of who you are that you feel like you have to hide that you're ashamed of, which like Adrian is kind of like the most upfront representation of that. Cause I mean, he's, he talks about, you know, being gay. And at one point him and him and Justine have sex and she's like kind of, kind of putting some pressure on him afterwards because uh she lost her virginity to him and he ultimately kind of erupts and it's just like look i didn't lie about being gay for 20 years only to come out and have to like have sex with women or whatever you know and he storms out and it's kind of this momentary rift in their relationship despite the fact that they've kind of bonded up until that point uh and so we get that very but think but think about the parallel but think about the parallels there this notion that now i have to closet myself you know yeah 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 that's exactly what i'm saying uh and but but i think i think what is kind of the most interesting about this is what a kind of grotesque metaphor is used for this idea of like a young woman's sexual awakening because i mean her cannibalism is very much tied into her sexuality and I don't think we've talked about this up until this point, which is crazy that we've talked as long as we have about Duggernau's films and not mentioned this, but she has this uh, clear interest in the intersection of like violence and sex or like the overlap, I should say, because uh, we see it in Titan as well. But, um, you know, when she does have sex with Adrian, she keeps trying to bite him and we see her uh, in a kind of sexual um situation with another student where they both have paint all over them she's painted blue he's painted right. yellow and these upper yeah, in a room and say uh don't come out until you're green which is a kind of a interesting moment of comedy uh which there's at least one moment like that in titan as well you know she clearly has a sense of humor uh, julia durkin now does um but it's almost like her cannibalism is like a metaphor for the way uh, that women are raised to feel about sexuality. Like she discovers, you know, take away like the horrendous, like eating other people crime. It's a, you know, portion of the situation and just the urge, the impulse, it, you know, if you're a young woman in most countries in the world, because patriarchy has dominated society for the majority of human history. Uh, you know, you're made to believe that being a sexual person is wrong, that it's, it's bad to right. have an active libido. It's bad to uh, express yourself sexually, despite probably if th this is how you feel about things, having that urge to do so, that's an innate part of you, you know, like your, your sex drive is an innate part of who you are. Uh, and so the fact that this movie's, taking such an intense way or is taking such an intense approach to that uh to that metaphor is also makes it very interesting and, and very thought-provoking but I, yeah i completely agree i mean if you could remove cannibalism right in in film it seems like cannibalism is the worst thing that you can do the worst serial killers hannibal pedophilia hannibal no you're right no david you win you win <laughs> i'm 
I, I feel like they're on fairly equal footing, but either of those are like sure. third rails. You don't touch them. I mean, unless you want it to get okay, really but, ugly. But my like, thinking here, yeah, no, no doubt. My thinking is that if you remove cannibalism and replace it with the things that any college student could dabble in, and that's weird because you don't dabble in cannibalism. Clearly, there's a fantastic, like, the, the reason is presented why that this is the thing. But replace it with, you know, folks that were um, any kid that was told you have to be this way. A vegetarian would certainly go to college. And I've heard stories, you know, of, of friends that have told me I was vegetarian. And when I got to school away from my parents grasp hell yeah i tried bacon that's all i'd heard of my entire life or it could be drugs or it could be sex or it could be alcohol for most you know right. college kids yeah. that take a thing and go too far with it well here she's using a horror element to tell a story about almost everybody this i mean the true coming of age when you really do discover yourself yeah and it's it, it's presented so horrifically yeah. Where I'm about to text my co-host and say, what the hell have you put in front of my eyes, you son of a bitch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and hot that, mic, hot mic. Uh, that's that's one of I didn't I did, I did not text that. I, I, no, I deserved myself. And I was and I was correct to do so because I watched this movie first. And I would suggest that before you watch Titan, you do watch her first this is her first feature and then the i, I do want to ask y'all or, or we can push pause on this but like what do you think of the evolution from film one to film two yeah uh, but be- but i would suggest that if you're going to watch these films and you haven't yet that you start with raw and what was that playing on netflix i think it's on yeah netflix, yeah. yeah yeah it's on netflix tonight and uh, one of the reasons that i've advocated for this film so much and one of the reasons that i like it so much is because when I walked out of the, the theater that first time back when our Alamo Draft House was a little more adventurous in its programming pre-COVID, my head was spinning. And you know, I believe you. And and we talked about in the first half how we all wish that you know we could have seen Titan in a theater and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons I would have liked to have seen Titan at the draft house is so that I could walk out of the theater and then sit in the lobby in silence with my thoughts, like in a borderline catatonic state, just processing what had happened to me. Cause that was kind of what happened to me after I saw raw, I just was like, Oh my God, what on earth was that? Like, and uh, you yeah. just, it, they're both movies that you really have to kind of let marinate with you a little bit. You have to sit with to kind of really be able to wrap your head around because they're so bold, not just in their storytelling, but in their, yeah. uh, in the visuals as well, that it's, it, it's not something that it's not something that you, easily walk away from you know they're movies that kind of linger with you a little bit and i think that a little bit well yeah a lot of bit but i but that is definitely something that i um enjoy and value in a movie watching experience whether you know uh, how horrific it may or may not be I, yeah. I think that I think the, the I'm sorry, David. The greatest compliment is that the Colonel here is going to go on that list of hell yeah, we're going to see the next thing she puts out, and of Anything. course we're going to talk about it on this show. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, David? Oh, and we should mention that the final scene of this film, after her sister goes to prison for stabbing her roommate with a ski pole and then proceeding to eat the majority of his thigh. 
we see her uh, we see justine and her parents visiting alexia her sister in jail go home they're sitting at the dinner table her mom is like very insistent that she finish all of her food before she gets up as if she's like eight years old but then it's her and her father sitting there together and uh he reveals at a certain point that her mother has the same cannibalistic instincts and that the first time that they met and kissed or not met but the first time they kissed she took a big chunk out of his lip and then he pulls his shirt up to reveal all these scars and chunks of mix of, of missing flesh and the final line of dialogue in this film is you'll figure out how to deal with it too or something to that effect uh, you'll come up with I, I have a solution. feeling uh, well you, neither you got it right but our listeners who stick through to the coda on the episode will get it how <laughs> yeah. about that but uh, yeah I think w- what we need to uh, you know th- th- this kind of brings it back to what Joe was talking about and what I was trying to you know assert in the, in the first half the this this idea of one's identity and this thing that you know one taps into that once they have they they can't um they can't disregard as part of them um in this case cannibalism but it could be a lot of different things whether it be you know like drinking or drugs or i mean you know that, that a young person might you know find that they're attracted to or that you know somehow ignite something in them but then to think you know i think with with that final scene of the film essentially where where you have it revealed that the parents have been, you know, in a consensual cannibalistic relationship all these years that (laughs) you get to a point where it's like, well, but everybody maybe can find somebody to be with. I mean, there, there is this acceptance, right? Like the acceptance that Vincent and Adrian. You're all the way back to Titan. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Full circle. Yeah. The, The acceptance that we see there is very much like that acceptance that, they this couple uh you know the parents in uh raw have though we don't explore that acceptance to quite the same degree it's 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 interesting but we see it between the sisters alexia and and justine and 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 them kind of working out that it's this is very very thought-provoking and very very deep kind of uh filmmaking that just like with titan on its surface is going to turn off a certain portion of a potential audience but the reality is if if that isn't a, a deal breaker for you, I think there is a lot to get out of the stories that DeCornow is telling. And I think uh, I, I think I just want to say that one thing that you should not get out of the stories that she's telling is that just because you feel a compulsion to be a cannibal means that it's okay and that you should do that and accept that. <laughs> I don't think Yeah, but if you can find the person who will let you gnaw on them, I don't know. Who am I to judge? You know, I uh, think back- that one. That might, I think that <laughs> I think that's in a territory where it's like, okay, I think it's all right, maybe to judge a little bit. Hey, Carlos, Carlos, I could be, I mean, maybe live. I'm bigoted. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say, live and let live, man. I don't know. Dude, I don't think can take it. I don't think that's one that I can. I, I, before, when the I dude tragically- does not abide. <laughs> when, I, when I tragically derailed the episode earlier in this half, I want to bring it back to say this. Y'all are both right. It is a slower paced film than the than what we see her evolve into into in Titan. But within that slow pacing, she's giving us so much to see and think about and listen to this one sink our teeth into. Oh goodness. Did we sink our teeth into a hefty uh 
a hefty stout in this another imperial stout two in one episode both that's i think it's 12.8 abv and i'm at 12 abv on this one i'm feeling every drop of it boys yeah it's it's amazing that you're (laughs) it's amazing you're putting together words as well as you are joe or that i am right now if i am i don't know it's hard for me to tell uh, I, the, I I feel like I, I'm having such a deja vu moment right now that the words just come naturally. <laughs> <laughs> a little inside baseball for you. Yeah. The, the Speedway yeah, we're Stout. We're talking about that in after hours. Yeah. The Speedway Stout is something that I should not be taking for granted. I said when, when you brought it out that this is a beer that uh, I was excited about when it came into our market. And then you know, with the years that have passed, it just, it becomes one of those things that I'll pass by on the shelf and I'll think, oh, hey, that's interesting. That's still around. Why am I so foolish? This is a great beer that is readily available. I feel like any time of the year, I could have this sitting in the back of the fridge and I would be excited to have this as my kind of nightcap when uh, when I'm closing out an evening of some great beers. This would be like a perfect, you know, just cherry on top of that entire experience because it's got all that rich you know sort of dense flavor that you want like you said joe not as not as thick as the media noche but uh, it is definitely from a flavor standpoint right there i yeah, i mean this is uh joe stop i got the floor now uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i had already pointed to you to say go uh <laughs> Yeah, this is, I mean, this is one of those beers that is very widely available and that, you know, when you're first getting into beer uh, is is kind of a great place to start maybe your stout journey, especially if you're a coffee drinker. And I, and I think that kind of happened for me a little bit when I, we've talked about it on the show before, but if you're new here, hello, welcome. Thank you for making it as far into the episode. But my first kind of my early days of craft beer, uh, because of being kind of turned off to some of the super hoppy West coast style IPAs and pale ales and whatnot. I was, I was very much a stout man. I was looking for all the stouts. I was drinking mostly stouts and this is one that you can find. It's like, Oh, stout with coffee, 12%. Okay. Hold on. What's going on here? And you try it and you're like, wow, this is, uh, excellently brewed, put together, no corners cut type of situation. Uh, definitely a great place to start if you're um, new to the Imperial Stout thing and you want to really kind of dive in head first and try some big, bad, bold flavors. I mean, especially as easy as 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 it seems to be able to get. If we get it here regularly in our kind of smaller market, then I'm sure. Oh, yeah you also find it in yours. Yep. Absolutely. And it's in such a sad place on the shelf when you guys, <laughs> well, that's, our, that's at our place. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, uh, yeah. At our place, I'm going to back up what y'all said. I need a four pack of this in my beer refrigerator. I have a second fridge at all times. Now that said in our local market, it is in a sad place. And I'll be honest <laughs> with you, even the duster didn't even get down there. I, had, I picked it up. I looked it up. We hadn't done it. Oh, my God. If we're going to do our 400th beer episode, this would be a nice 401. This would be a nice pairing with the other be- the, uh, the first beer we had, the Medianoche, which was fantastic. So I'm going to say go get yourself a uh, some Speedway Stout and put it in your refrigerator because I'm going to be doing that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a bad move, though a difficult one to just casually crack open because <laughs> it is 12.8%. Like no, you find the night, Carlos. You find the night. Yeah, yeah. You have to, you have to schedule that. <laughs> you find the moment. You, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, we've had two great beers that, you know, we obviously have so much to say about. And, you know, we watched and discussed two films that I don't think we could say enough about. I think that there is just so much to dig in with these two films, Titan and Raw. Um, and it it leads me to my favorite part about this podcast is that the conversation does not end when the episode ends. It continues uh, with you, the listeners on whatever social media channel you prefer. We're on the mall for the most part, not on TikTok. That's not happening. We're old. Uh, you, but you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer in a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX. Beer in a Movie Podcast.com is the home base. Uh, and there is... Uh, Actually, there are some new things on there that Joe has put together, uh, kind of a uh, a greatest hits collection almost. Uh, he's featured some of our director-focused episodes, uh, put together some highlights from things like All Horror October, uh, things of that nature. Uh, so you can find all of that kind of stuff there if there's a particular uh, kind of film filmmaker that you want to see if we've covered, you can find it. Uh, but also it has this great beer map that shows... Um, all the beers we've had from every city and state in the U S we've had a beer from all 50 States uh, and countries. We've been to 12 countries beer wise, and you can see every beer that we've had from all of those different places, all of those different breweries, uh, check out the five timers club, the elite group of breweries that we have uh, enjoyed five times or more on the show. And of course you've heard us mention it already in the podcast, but you can financially support the show, which helps us uh, to keep the podcast sounding great and uh, doing other extracurricular things, which we'll talk more about later. Uh, but that's patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. Yes. We talk about beer. Yes. We talk about movies, but we also talk about a great many other things. Absolutely. Nothing is off limits on the Patreon episodes. Uh, the records we've been listening to the shows we've been watching what's going on in our personal lives, all that kind of stuff. And of course, Last but not least, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, uh, please subscribe so that you can stay abreast about uh, all of the uh, new episodes that are dropping immediately when they drop, but also leave us a rating and a written review uh, because that really helps the algorithm to do what it do and put our show in front of more beer-loving podcast listeners and uh, movie-loving podcast listeners as well. Really helps us out a great deal, and we thank you very much for it in advance. Uh, and yeah, it has been, um, another indescribable episode of the movie. I don't know. Uh, so I, until next time, I'm sure you'll find a solution. Honey. <laughs>